So today I wanted to actually talk about the joy of heaven. Um, maybe we'll make it a Christmas message because that's what the angels did come tell those shepherds, the first guys to see Jesus, right? I bring tidings of great joy. So yeah, let's make it a Christmas message. Maybe not, but kind of. Um, because I, I really wanted to talk about the joy of the Lord today, our strength in the joy of the Lord. And some of that strength, that are all, all of it, literally being the fact that he's happy. You know, that the Bible was, you know, there's prophecies written about Jesus that he was anointed with the oil of gladness above all of his brethren. In other words, God, even manifest in the flesh on the earth, was the happiest person in the world. You know, and we think of him like, well, he's a queen of many sorrows and all that, you know, oh, you know, we see the, the artwork, the Christian artwork, but he's actually profoundly happy. And the essence and nature of the kingdom of heaven, you know, the kingdom of, it doesn't consist of what? Eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in his spirit. You know what I mean? And the fruit of his spirit is, one is love, but right after that is joy. And he actually is love. His identity is love. So joy is, in my mathematical equation, the way that scripture is written in Galatians 5, it's like the first thing written about him. Our God who is love is joyous. And, you know, sometimes, you know, joy to the world, yeah, back to the Christmas message, I'll ride through town, I take the girls to school probably maybe three days out of the week, two, three days out of the week, I usually take them. And there's a couple of them I'll see in town. There's one street, I won't name it, but, you know, that I drive by, and they have a little manger scene looking uh, thing out, out in their yard, which is nice, you know. But with, right next to it, they have a cross and a big sign that says, he was born here to go to here, you know. And, uh, we, you know, there's, there's some reality to that. And it is, actually, there's another one that's really, it's almost, it almost looks like a Halloween decoration because it's like, he was born to go to here. And it's got like the, the bloody uh, crown of thorns and stuff hanging on it. And that's over, that's actually in my neighborhood, actually. So I won't say where it is, but it's, uh, yeah, it's in, it's over there by Andy Woods. But anyhow... <laughs> Um, you know, sometimes a lot of people, and I, and I would be one of them, that you see that, you see that image expressed of like joy to the world, love, but it's like, you also see it and you're like, oh, you're just being born to really go through a horrible torment, torment of death. It's like, yikes. You know what I mean? It's not, it's almost not happy because it's like. It's like, yeah, I get to watch the Passion movie, but with the Bethlehem scene, but I know where it's going. And it's frightening to me. You know what I mean? Disturbing. And um, for many people, it doesn't, it doesn't remind them of the joy of the Lord and the, joy, the, the glad tidings for the entire world, this incredible thing that God's doing. It's more of like a picture of, a, of, of the savage nature of this father who's God who birthed his son in order to tor torture him so that at least his wrath would be appeased somewhere instead of on all of us. So, whew, at least we got in, you know. <laughs> so, man, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a one way to start. But, um, you know, Jesus, so, you know, some of my favorite scriptures there in the, in the Bible, which I think all the Bible should be read through these four books, the Gospels, especially the book of John, literally says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Like, Jesus is not 
was not a created being, you know. He's not, he's not part of the bipolar Godhead, one of, one of which is the savage that wants to pour out the wrath, and the other one says, hey, wait a second, I'll go in the place. I guess I'll let you. You know what I mean? This mentality that, that, that kind of manifests sometimes, maybe just me, or it used to, around Christmas when you'd see that picture and you'd see that combination, like, how can God be good? How can this happen? You know? Because we know, it's like, well, we see that, we see that, as you can see, I'm still looking at the, I'm still looking at my neighbor's uh, nativity slash, <laughs> it's like the electric chair sitting next to a, a, you know, a birthing center, you know, it's like, oh, you know what I mean? I'm still in that trauma, you know, but I, I'm not. What I'm saying is, we see that, and we'll, we see John 3.16, well, God so loved the world that he took his wrath out, he gave his only begotten, you know what I'm saying? It's like, but no, like, God actually loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. And, and that's really important there. The only begotten son of God. That, that word, monogenes, is like the one-of-a-kind son of God. Because there was a lot of them. The one-of-a-kind son of God. The son that was, that was unlike any other son of God in history. There was something very distinct about him. And that's where we get that word in you know, John 3.16. It's there in John 1.8. Like no one has seen God at any time. In John 1.18, the only begotten, the monogenes, who's in the bosom or, or comes, pro, proceeds out of the side of the Father, he has made him known, he has declared him. You know. And so we see this, this is not, this is not a bipolar God taking out his wrath. This is like God himself coming out of God. You know, in him, you know, in the beginning was the word Jesus. He was with God, and he simultaneously was God at the same time. There was an agree There's no Father God behind the back of the goodness, of the love, the heart of who Jesus really is. You know. Hebrews eleven seventeen uses that same word about Isaac. You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, that Isaac was the monogenes of his father, and we know he. You know, he. We know he was not the only son, and he was not the firstborn son of Isaac. Ishmael was. You know. And um, this word is talking about, hey, it was the only begotten. He was the, he was the only one of a kind. This time of year, it's so incredibly brilliant because God did something for all of us that was so stealth that it was under the nose of the enemy. If, if, if the, the rulers of this world would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory is what it says in 1 Corinthians, right? And so 1 Corinthians 2 says this. And so it's like, it's like he came by such stealth that no one's, he came without no comely appearance, nothing, that he came and he manifested who God was as the word or the express image, the expression of God, who no one had seen before, came talking about what God was like all the time and made it all the way to the end of the game where he gave himself up for us and unlocked the entire world. Something John the Baptist said. Prophesied it from the very jump, the very, the very beginning. Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the whole world's sin. Amen. Like this is, a, this is a full-blown stealth attack and he's coming to do it. He's not this messianic king with the rod of iron that's going to rule all the nations of the world and all the gods of the other nations. As so they thought, you know what I'm saying? He's going to come do something where he unlocks absolutely everything. You know? And when we see this picture, we, you know, 
of a God who's not bipolar, but a God who loved us so very much that he came to give himself for us. And he lived in such humility the entire time as to stay under the radar. We see that Jesus came and he was full of joy and happiness about his mission that he was going to accomplish. And that's probably one of my favorite things, you know, uh, you know Hebrews 12, 2 says, um, For the joy, we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Amen. It's just like, what? Amen. And then it says, despising the shame. You know, one of, Marlia was looking that up the other day or like last year or something like that. Despising the shame, it's not, not means like, well, I, I'll endure the cross, but I hate that shame. It, mean, it literally means he thought little of the shame. It's like, oh, for the joy that was set before the Lord Jesus, baby Jesus, you know, all the way to the end, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross out of, out of a joyous heart, you know. And he didn't even think much of that shame. Like, man, you're going to be stripped, beaten, all this is going to happen, you're going to be humiliated, you're going to be naked, you're going to be all these different things. And it was just like, but he thought so little of that. Like, that's nothing for you. That's nothing for you guys. Like, they're going to play right into my hand. His dad wasn't beating him to death. You know what I mean? He was liberating the world. And then it's like joy to the world. It's like, oh, yeah. He had great joy. And so we see that. I'm not, and maybe you're one of those, maybe you got the cross in your yard with the, with the nativity. That's fine, dude. I'm not... I'm not saying that. I'm saying for many people who have been raised with the, with the belief of the, of the bipolar God, like that's a very good, uh, that's almost like having the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, this is good and this is evil and this is good and this, you know what I mean? It's, it's, to some people that have been raised in that, in that mindset, it's, it's a confusing thing. But when we see the way Jesus talked about himself, about what a good father was, it changes everything, you know? And when we see him talk about, you know, we see things written about the joy that was set before him that he despised. He thought little of the shame. It makes it, it, makes it so much more wondrous and wonderful, you know. I was going to do, I was going to read a little bit of, of Luke 15, maybe a lot of it, maybe like half of it today, and that will be our message. But because I feel like this goes so well with the identity of who God truly is. Because when people know that he's what he's like, without that poison filter of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, but seeing him as the goodness and as the champion that he truly is, it literally unlocks us to walk and run really with freedom in this life. And even considering the joy that was set before him, Jesus is around some Pharisees in, in, um, in Luke 15. And it says the tax collectors and the sinners were all hanging around him. And the Pharisees um, were having a hard time with that. Like, oh, this is yucky, you know. Amen. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and Luke 15, 4, he, Jesus gives them this little parable. And he says, hey, which of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, he doesn't leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one until he finds it. And when he finds it, he lays it upon his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he, he calls all of his friends and his neighbors. And he says, rejoice for me, for I found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you, there's, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who, who turns, who repents, than over 99 persons that don't actually need it. And it's just like, hey, like, 
you guys don't understand the exuberant joy that happens in the Father's heart and even in heaven over just one person turning their life around, turning to me. Like, heaven is a raging party over one person, you know? And it's just like, God is full of joy, and you guys have God pictured as this judgmental savage, pagan savage, you know? Which God literally, you know, you think about Abraham and Isaac there in Hebrews 11 literally called the monogenes, like the, the one-of-a-kind son. But like you think about Abraham taking his son to lay him on an altar and sacrifice him to God and God intervening. You know what I mean? In the book of Genesis. And it's just like, yee. But God was making a point even back then. It's like, I'm not a pagan God. You know? He was following through. He was, he was showing his obedience to God. But God was making a real point to... to to Abraham, who was he was the God of Abraham. That was the first person he was starting to become Israel. And it's like he's like, hey, that's not the way we do it. And talk about loud and clear. I hate sometimes we have to our kids' Bibles, you know, my my oldest daughter, I remember seeing one, you know, there's a picture of like Abraham with his knife up real about to stab Isaac. Daddy, what's what's that? <laughs> like, uh, why is that bad guy killing that kid? Well, you know. And what do you you know? Because God told him to. You know, oh my gosh! So God tells people, parents to kill kids. What does that do to a child? Plants that seed in real quick, doesn't it? Yeah, the bipolar. Yeah. What does that do? But Dad, that's your God. Like, so would you do that to me? Well, if God told me, I'd have to. No. <laughs> Let's just hope he doesn't. Sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> No one's saying, not even you. <laughs> okay, see how funny that it is? But much of the world believes this way and is taught this way. And its teachers fight. The teachers fight and write books, you know, to make people try to hold on to this, this doctrine of demons, you know. So, yeah, yeah, so there, why is he going to stab that kid? Anyways, where was I at? Speaking of Isaac, and okay. But here's Jesus talking to the Pharisees who are of, of that mind, like, yo, like, you have no idea who God, what God is like. He's so happy when somebody turns. Like, Jesus is like, yeah, like, God would actually really want me to be here with all of them. Trust me. I have a good feeling about it. You know, and here's God in the flesh. You know what I mean? It's just like, man, you guys. And, and he gives this picture, he's like, you know, of joy in heaven, of angels but he gives another picture, which I love. Like, hey, if there's if there's nine a hundred sheep and one of them floats away, fall, you know, rolls, you know, walks off and is lost. When he goes and he finds it, he lays it upon his shoulders and he rejoices. Amen. And that right there, to me, that's that's Luke fifteen verse five. But that's the heart of God, and that is the cross. It's like the cross on his shoulder was the lost, was all the lost sheep and he had it on his shoulder and he was rejoicing. And we think like, man, yeah, he was in agony. He was bleeding out. He had the sins of mankind on him. He could barely even move. But when they put that thing, I can just, he's just, he's embracing that cross on his shoulder and he's embracing all of his sheep, all the lost ones. And, and, and he knows this is so worth it to me. You know what I mean? It's not, it's like the principalities and powers, they think they're getting me, but like, he's holding us, the lost sheep, and he's, and he's like, yo, I got you, son. I've got you, I've got you, girl. It's going to be all right. They're playing 
right into my hands. This is what I wanted to happen and they're doing it. Can you see how like beautiful that is? All the darkness being thrown at them of the depravity of, of humanity and mankind being man, like thrust upon him and him welcoming it because he was going, his, even in his incarnation, was going into the depths of humanity and restoring and recovering the whole thing. Like his cousin said, he takes away the sin of the elect, I mean of the world, of everybody. Wasn't just for the few, you know, let's, you know, anyways. It's like, he, behold the lamb, he takes away the sin of the world. He's the, the champion was embracing the lost sheep and, he, and there was joy in it. I'm sure you know, his face was disfigured because it was so beaten up and you couldn't probably discern a smile on him. I mean, I'm not sure, but you know what I'm saying? In his heart, it was just like, this is, this is, this is going well. You know. He goes on and he, and he gives them another parable in Luke 15 about somebody having 10 silver coins and losing one and then finds it and basically calling her friends and throwing a party over it. And it's just like, you know, Likewise, there's joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Like He's like, you guys have a view of, of God that is so backwards. And he's actually a good father. He's a dad. He's our dad. And that leads us into the prodigal son story, which really is like the good father story. Because if you, it says, then he said, he's always given them analogies and pictures of what heaven is like and what the kingdom is like. A certain man had two sons. The youngest one said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. There's something, there's a couple things right there in that verse, Luke 15, 12. One, all the Pharisees sitting around being rebuked by the joy of God and how nice the father is. They're hearing this story. Hey, there was this father has two sons. And one of them came and said, hey, I want my inheritance now which even in that culture was like, you're not dying fast enough. I wish you were gone. Can you just give me what's mine so that I don't have to be around? You know, it's a very cruel, like rude, insulting way to not honor your father and mother, you know. But it says there in verse 12 that, um, that so the father divided to them his livelihood. So he gives it to the, to the son, but he also gives his other son, his livelihood. So they both cashed in at the same time. That's something that's kind of lost in the story sometimes, but it says, not many days after, the younger son gathered together and journeyed far to another country, and, and he wasted his life and his possessions on prodigal living. So he went and just partied his life away. When he spent all of his money, all of his inheritance, there was a severe famine in the land, so he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed his pigs, his swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So, you know, you can kind of see what's going on here because he's sitting there talking to the religious elite, okay? And sinners, but a lot of the religious elite, because they're both, you got the religious elite and the worldly sitting there together, the tax collectors and sinners. And you can see the buttons that are being poked in the religious club. One, he insulted his father like, like super hot, you know what I mean? Came in like, I wish you were dead, can I just have mine and do my own thing? Two, he goes out in prodigal living, so they're just like, oh, you know, oh, 
gross, you know what I'm saying? He lost all of his stuff, so then he's working in pig field, you know, feeding pigs, which is like the unclean animals. Like, oh gosh, just, they're like, oh, these guys are just disgusting, you know what I mean? He's, he's literally poking, he's triggering these folks, you know? It's like if I was like, man, you know, after church today, I'm, yeah, maybe we should go to like, uh, let's go to Golden Corral and really go hard at it, you know what I'm saying? See that face right there? Boom, see that one? There's a cut. See, there's a couple like, oh, like, oh, as if, oh, oh, go in there. You know what I mean? But that's a much lower level example of what he was doing. But these guys are triggered like, oh, that's disgusting. He's a prodigal living, of course. Oh, that's in the pigs of the swine. Like, what a piece of garbage. You know what I mean? But it says something in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat and despair and perish with, with, with hunger? And I perish with hunger, I'm sorry. I'm going to arise and go to my father. He gets a bright idea. Here's one thing that Jesus is sliding into the story um, in verse 17. But when he came to himself, um, that they didn't catch... And, you know, it's easy for us not to catch. But Jesus was, was instantly excusing the guy on the basis of identity. When he did those other things, he wasn't himself. But then he came to himself. He snapped out of, he was, he was in some type of deranged state. He was out of his mind doing those things. That sounds like the cross of forgive them, they don't know. And if I'm a Pharisee or if I'm on Jesus' team and I'm religious, I'm like, they do know. Strike them back, you know. But he's like, no, they don't actually know what they're doing. They're not themselves. This is the poison of the fall. Forgive them, they do not know. He's releasing that to the people. Like, they don't know what they're doing. This is that poison. My kids are intoxicated with something that's created. They've become something they're not, and they don't even know what they're doing to me. But I'm coming to rescue them. And he's hugging that cross. It's a joy. It's his joy to do it. It's pretty profound, man. So, so when he comes to, he, he comes to himself and he says, how many of my father's servants have this? But he, he makes this script, okay? And I'll try to speed it up a little bit, cl close it up pretty soon. Um, I'm going to arise and go to my father for I've, and I'm going to say to him, here's, here's what he wants to say. He makes a script. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, number one. Number two, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like one of your hired servants, number three. And so he arose to came to his father. So he, he comprises something in his mind. I'm going to go to my dad, and these are the things. I've sinned. I'm, I've repented. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It's like, you don't have to punish me or even say those things. I actually know that's, I know that I'm not deserving. And number three, so here's, for my punishment, this is what you're going to do to me. You know what I mean? You're going to, I'm going to be your hired servant. I'm just going to work. I'm going to eat my food, but at least I won't be laying the, you know. So he does this. And, you know, I can see the Pharisees thinking like, yeah, sounds about right punishment. Good, good job. He's coming to his right religious mind. Um, but something happens. He rose and he comes to his father. But while he was still a far way off, his father saw him. And he had compassion on him. And he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. So he ran and embraced the kid. Like, oh, come here, buddy. You know, so happy to see him. 
which another one in that culture? The wealthy father hopping, jumping down and running after somebody. Not kosher, not cool, not distinguished. Grabbing a hold of and squeezing and hugging, putting his face into the neck of the guy. Gross. He's, 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 he's used his, he's wasted all of his money on harlots and on, on perversion. He's been with pigs and he's unclean. Like he hasn't even gone through anything ceremonial. Like this is, so, so, so this is worse than, a little worse than Golden Corral. You know, this is like, oh, this, oh, as if. You know, I mean, those guys are doing the clueless as if right there. Like, oh. You know, this, this is, they're, they're like, he did what? He did what? This is a trigger story. So the son, in verse 21, he pulls out his script. And he, and he reads number one. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. Then he reads number two. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he goes to read number three, which is like, this is, this is what my punishment will be. <laughs> make me a servant. I'll work for, you know, I'll work for my... But before he gets to number three, the father's voice interjects his plan. And he says, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Like, he's not even listening to the guy. Bring out the best robe. Like, what? Has he been cleansed yet? Put it on. Put the ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Like, what? You're going to put family authority? Like, this is... Uh, like, like what? Sandals on his feet? He doesn't even have shoes. Like, bring the fatted calf and kill it and let, let us eat and be merry for the son is dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to be merry. The father actually started to manifest the heart of God in Zephaniah that they sang last week, Zephaniah 3. Like, he started to dance and, and, and exuberantly celebrate the reality of his son. Which to these guys was an absolute trigger. And disgusting to him. But here comes the guy that kind of resembles them. In verse 25, the older son. He was in the field. He heard the music. He hears the party. And he comes in. He asks one of the servants, like, hey, what's, what do these things mean? I'm outside. He's already on um, plan number three of being like a servant in his dad's house. Instead of actually entering into these things, even though his dad's actually given him his inheritance already. And they're like, well, your brother came home. And he was received safe and sound. So your father's like throwing a major party over it. In verse 28, but he was angry and he would not go in. He would not go in to the party. And that's so interesting. So here's the Pharisees super triggered about the crowd that Jesus is around. And Jesus is saying like, hey, like God loves this crowd. And he's going to fully redeem this crowd. This crowd. And you guys are mad about it. And now he's telling them a story that they know at this point, he's talking to us. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just like, hey, heaven is open for you to come on in and you're so ticked off that you won't. Amen. And this is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. You know, this is heavenly. Amen. You know, many think this is, this is the wedding feast of the lamb and the outer darkness. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm there with them. You know, because they're right. Um, so he answered and he says to his father, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your coming. You never gave me a goat so I could make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, 
came who devoured your livelihood with harlots you killed a fatted calf for him. This son of yours, he doesn't even identify him as a brother. He sees him as something different. To which the father said, Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary be glad for your brother was dead. He's like, hey, like, this is what this whole thing's about. The party's justified. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and you guys are bucking it because you see yourselves as elevated above those other who are entering into it. You know? And like, God's not what you guys think. He is a welcoming good father. God's not detested, you know, by by your by your dirtiness. Like, he has fully provided a way for you to be in. You know. And it's interesting the grace of God that came onto the prodigal because he literally comes in. You see what happens. He came in and his life was a mess. But you see how like shame and condemnation um, funnel themselves right into being religious. Like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm dirty. I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy to be a son, but I can be a this and I can, you know what I mean? And the religious machine uses this because it seeks to qualify everyone, everybody under a certain identity that is like a sinner, you know? Like, don't forget, you are a sinner, right? If it wasn't for Jesus, the manger scene, going to that cross, like, God would, God would be disgusted by you. Come on in. Come on in the Christmas party, you know what I mean? Like, hey, come on in. By the way, you're a sinner. Just say by grace. It's only grace, not by what you've done. And, but, but also, God would be grossed out by you if you weren't in the sun. You know, and it's just like, this identity issue. And the prodigal started to go right into it because of this bipolar view. You know, okay, I'm going to come back and I'm going to be, what's my punishment? And he has, even he, just like the older brother was doing, associated his father with his own self. Well, what would I do if my son did this to me? I'd make him earn it. I'd make him here. Boom, 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 boom. He was already on track to be one of them. A religious monster. Because that's the way he saw his dad. And Jesus is popping that bubble. The good father's popping the bubble of the kid, of the young guy, face to the neck, the robe, all these things he didn't earn. I have you covered. You're naked, I have you covered. I've got you. You have nothing of your own, you can have what's mine. That's, that's the Christmas story, man. That's, that's, that's the heart of God. And he was actually coming and smashing on that in front of the people like, hey, that heart, that way you believe about the father, this is what the father's like. He's not as proper and he's not as regal in, in, in the sense of like, you know, his, his, you know, not being able to run and not, you know, touching somebody who's unclean and all these different things and being forgiving. You know, it's like he is, he is, he is altogether other than, you know, and you can't assume that the father's the same way as you because that's the stronghold. We project our own judgments on him towards us. It's true. Adam and Eve, what did they do? Quick, what do we do? I don't know, sew up, sew up a bikini. We're, this ain't right. Sew up some figs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's going to see that we're yucky and ugly. And, and it's like, whoa. He's never seen you that way before. Why is he that way now? He's not. He's not. What's changed? Yeah, the poison of the fall. It's, it's setting in here. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, we did. By, by that poison. Like, that's the only thing that had changed. Colossians literally says we were once alienated and enemies 
of him in our minds. Does that mean we're separated from God? It doesn't. That means that in our minds we were alienated and separated from God. It was mental. It is not true. You think about David saying that in Psalm 139. If I go to heaven, if I go to Sheol, you're there. It's like I cannot escape God. You know what I mean? I can't escape you. Where's God at the end of this story? Is he at the party? No. He's outside in the dark with the, with the, old, with the son. Reason, like when you end that story, it's the father is actually outside. He came out and he was pleading with the son. Please come back in and see things like me. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, you, you, missed, you missed the... You know what I'm saying? I think it's like C.S. Lewis used to say, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. Yeah. It's not the savage throwing people out in that thing. No, it isn't. It is the rejection of the goodness of God. I'm not saying that there's no such thing as hell and all those things. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm not a universalist. I don't think that way. I think that's a great... going to be cool, you know what I mean? But I, I don't think that... But, but what I am saying is like at the end of the story, God is actually separated because he, now who's, who's the one sheep out of the 99 now? Yeah. Now the religious older brother is or the servant, the one with the servant mindset. Now he's actually going after him. Maybe God is actually going after everyone. And maybe he's telling the Pharisees that I'm, I'm going after these prodigals. But guess what? I'm triggering you because I'm coming after you too. I'm coming after y'all. I'm button pushing, dude. I'm, putting, I'm pushing everybody's buttons. You know, so that the nature of Adam pops out of them and they look at the goodness and kindness of their father who doesn't judge them for it and he's still there. It's not like, oh, really? Oh, fly off like a dove. You know, the, the skittish <laughs> dove, Holy Spirit will fly off. You've grieved him and all this. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm not going nowhere. You can say, I hate you. You can be in the most filth. You can be all these things. Like, not leaving, dude. I'm right here with you. But I don't, I'm just so angry. Like, think about why you're angry. Was it, I believe it was Matthew 20. I hope it was, I hope I'm right. But you know, the story of the, the people that, you know, he hired the people all day long and then the people that were hired early in the morning were mad because they got the same pay as the people that only worked for like an hour. You know, remember that stuff? He's like, hey, he's like, is it, is it okay for you to be this mad? Is your, is, your, is your eye evil because I'm good? Is my goodness triggering something in you? Imagine this type of rhetorical question that our God talks to us with like, hey, like, is it? Like Jonah. Yeah. How many thousands of children, people that don't know their hands, right hand from their left hand? Like, you're, Jonah, you're mad because Nineveh's not getting caught on fireballs? Like, is it okay for you to be that mad? Like, you want to think that through? Is he saying like, oh, you have, you're of your heart of your father, the devil, and you don't deserve heaven, and you're going to get kicked out? Like, he's still there with somebody having a complete bad attitude. What, what audience could be more important than being in the audience of the Lord? And it's like, you don't want to mess that up. But you can't. We would think like, oh no, somebody you really want to be around, you know, clean up the house real good and like make sure they're real comfortable in your house and be real nice to them. And like, hey, you know, hope you're entertaining enough. It's like, you know what I mean? We put on a show for whatever. If a, the governor's coming to your house or something like that, you know. But it's like, imagine like you can't manifest enough darkness for the love of the Father to want to be separate from you. It's like, it's so strange. It's so not like us. In Adam so what has to change we can try to force him to change which we can't do we can paint a face on him that's not his in order to be right in the world you know what I mean 
and fight with other people that have different views, or we can know Him and manifest that same goodness and light. There's so much authority, spiritual, supernatural authority to those who know the Lord because they're walking in that same image. As the images of God, that's 2 Corinthians 3.18, those who see Him without a veil, without a misconception, without seeing Him like, I thought the Father was going to be judgmental. You know, the more we see Him as He truly is, is what Jesus came to do the entire time, the more we actually start to manifest the same image. We start to become the same way. But instead of seeing our image, they see the image of those of the one whom we are created in, and they're attracted to Him and not to us. You dig? And that's the point of this deal. So they wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. I'm just cl closing up the Christmas uh, message, no? Okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of his nature is love and it is joy. It is happiness and peace and patience and kindness and and, um, you know, when we see him and we're this time of year, we're celebrating what's coming down the pipe. It's not a, it's wonderful to think. It's like, it's not a dreadful thing. You know, when we see that manger and we see that cross, God's in the entire thing, redeeming and rescuing everybody because he's humble and he's wise beyond any wisdom we can, you know, comprehend that it, you know, it came in straight up stealth, the rulers of this world, like the demons are not for the, well, some, but they're not just like these monstrous entities that are like ogres. Many of them are highly intelligent in the human psyche and everything else. They play this game well, especially if you're actually doing the things of the kingdom. You know what I mean? But the wisdom of God will be, Ephesians 3, made known to the principalities and powers in the spiritual realm and the heavenly places. There's a wisdom that we're called to walk in, a wholeness that is the imagers of God that dismantles the dark things, one, if they hold us captive at times, but even the dark things that hold our brothers and sisters who, unlike the prodigal's older brother, we don't see them as different than us. We see everybody's like, this is our, these are our people. Yeah. And you see that the prodigal's like, this son of yours, you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's part of the fall too. Nobody's not a brother or sister of ours. We have the same dad, you know. And then the love of God, God flows through us to actually, without any hitch, you know, without any, you know, discretion, you know, between people, you know. It's our full-time, it's our full-time view of humanity because it's God's full-time view of humanity. So Lord, we thank you for the goodness and the reality that you came, you know, in the most vulnerable space as an infant, as a baby, you know, and, and came to manifest to the world the goodness of our Father and who our dad actually is. And that we're created in your image and that you are God above all and um, the one of a kind son, the son of promise, Yahweh in the flesh, I am before Abraham. And Lord, we thank you, Lord. I ask that this message of your true identity would continually permeate our being, all of us. And even the, the scripture of 2 Corinthians 10, like that literally we would actually, every thought that acknowledges itself above this knowledge of who you truly are would be replaced with the truth of who you are. 
that the goodness of our Father that falls upon our necks and hugs us and welcomes us as humanity, no matter what mess that we're in, that's you. That's you. And that you've paid for it. And that we would actually literally take into captivity every thought that tries to exalt itself above that and submit it to you, Lord Jesus. Amen.